Welcome to CTL Connections Short Bites, a series of interviews with senior engineering leaders. I'm your host, Peter Bell. The future's here. It's just not evenly distributed. At CTL Connection, we try to solve that by identifying, curating, and distributing the latest tools and techniques for more effectively building and managing an engineering team. Join our community at ctlconnection.com. I'd like to take a moment to thank our partners. Code Climate is our global sponsor. Code Climate Velocity helps CTOs, VPEs, and directors at companies like Slack, Gusto, and Pizza Hut align initiatives with strategic priorities, accelerate software delivery, and drive continuous improvement. I'd also like to thank Amazon Web Services and Carrot, our sustaining partners. I'd also like to take a moment to introduce our Short Bytes partner, Cloud Zero. You're spending a ton of money on the cloud, so shouldn't you know exactly what you're spending it on? Cloud Zero will help you organize and understand your cloud spend better than anyone else out there. You'll get visibility without the typical pitfalls of legacy cloud cost management tools like endless tagging or clunky Kubernetes support. With Cloud Zero, you can optimize your unit economics, decentralize cost intelligence to engineering, and create a shared language between finance and technical teams. You'll be able to answer questions like, who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? What is the cost impact of re-architecting this application? Join companies like Drift, Rapid7, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com slash ctlconnection to get started. Again, please visit cloudzero.com slash ctlconnection to get started today. Today, I'm speaking with Satish Jayanti, the Chief Technology Officer at Coalesce.io. Satish, thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. Oh, thanks for having me, Peter. Uh, so firstly, just to give people a little bit of context, uh, what do you all do over at Coalesce? Uh, my role is uh, Chief Technology Officer at Coalesce. Um, we are in the data transformation space. Um, our goal is to make the data transformations as easy as possible uh, for all kinds of users, uh, whether you're an architect or you're a business user who are trying to get more out of your data. Um, you know, we help you to build that foundation. That's great. So I'd love for you to help me build my foundation a little bit because <laughs> the last time I was like really looking seriously at data, it was like, you know, I had a relational database and maybe I would like, you know, batch process stuff into a data warehouse like nightly so I could run long running queries against that. Seems like the world's moved on so far from there. Data meshes, data lakes, data vaults, uh, stream processing. What do you think are some of the most consequential changes in data processing over, over the last few years? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the cloud, in my opinion, has you know, played a major role in that shift, right? I mean, we were dealing with um, databases that are on-prem. Uh, they were, you know, um, they, 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 they can do the job well, but they have outgrown. Um, you know, our needs have outgrown the capabilities of those on-prem systems. And now we have a, a cloud-based data warehouse or databases where most of the administration that was necessary before is not needed anymore. Anybody could spin up a instance uh, of a database in the cloud within minutes. Um, and when the, you know, you can scale up and down don't need to fine tune databases. Uh, my previous job uh, in my past is one of, you know, was a DBA, a database administrator. That was my full-time job. 
<laughs> so those we're talking about definitely you know a decade or more than a decade away uh, before so um at that time my sole job was to keep the lights on just managing the performance of the database and here we are today anybody could just spin a database don't need any you know fine tuning database tuning skills um so we've come a long way in in data processing platforms Absolutely. So de- definitely one of the the huge transformations is going from, you know, something running under the desk that you've got to remember not to kick on the third floor, otherwise it stops working, to actually having that in the cloud with scalability and with a lot of the, you know, you're not having to worry about swapping out hard drives at three o'clock in the morning. So that that is definitely one big shift. Another thing that I, I see is that companies just have so much more data now spread across different departments, different systems, different environments. Uh, what what are some of the, the trends in data processing that are, that are allowing people to aggregate that data? So, for example, if you've got customer data in 12 different systems from shipping to operations to customer service to sales to SAP or something like that, how do you think about bringing that data together in a way that you can get like a full customer view? Yeah. So um, the, the you know data demands have grown, right? Grown a lot. Uh Traditionally, we had um, basically uh, the entire end-to-end processing of data from, you know, acquiring the data to visualization. There were just like, um, it was more integrated. It was more done with one or two types of tools. But the space has grown so much now. Now, there are best-of-breed systems to deal with each area. So, for example, when you're talking about acquisition, you know, that data acquisition has pretty much been automated at this point because of the sources that you have, not just traditional relational sources. There's structured data, there's unstructured data, there's APIs, uh, there's real-time data. So all of that data acquisition has been now um, pretty much, I would say, at least very easy and, and automated. Um and then, then you have the other end where you have the data visualization uh, areas. You know, those in those areas we have a lot of lot of you know uh, improvements in terms of analytics, uh, building dashboards or whatever uh, that you um, that you do to get value out of the data. Um, the area where there's still a lot of uh, improvements that need to happen is the data transformation space. Um, you know, there's that. That's where we need a lot of automation and a lot of speed in 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 terms of getting the value out of your data quickly. Now, historically, transformation was often a batch process, right? Uh, do, are you seeing a trend to moving that to to like real time systems as part of stream processing? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, even uh, with the, the message, the messaging systems, the messaging platforms, they have come a long way, right? Um, there's, it is much easier to get um, a messaging system in place compared to like, let's say a decade ago. Uh, we have systems like Apache Kafka, um, where you have this publisher subscribe or mo- models uh, that would scale, um, you know, you can easily expand and uh, uh, the the scalability of these systems, and also you can spin up these systems in the cloud again. 
So you don't need the expertise that you needed in the past. And also the constraints are very minimal in terms of performance and scalability. Got it. So there are a few other terms that I've kind of just been trying to get my head around. I, I hear they've become more popular over the last few years, and I, I feel like some of them I've almost missed out on. So like data lake, what, mm-hmm. what are you looking at when you, when, when you talk about a data lake? Yeah, so um, traditionally, the, the, you know, what used to happen is when somebody is asking for data, you will run around and find where the source is. And then you start pulling from that source and you directly take that data, put it in a central place. Um, what with data lakes, what the, the idea was, how about we just gather, like bring all this data, put it in, in one place. It's raw. It's unfor, um, uncurated. Uh, it, it's all there. And then, the hope was that because we put all data in one place, um, we, uh, we, we, we would kind of improve the access at least. Uh, but, but people were thinking that that would actually solve all the data analytics problems. Uh, but that didn't happen, obviously, because the force, you know, what they haven't seen there was it's still raw data. It's not integrated. It's just like saying, I'm going to throw everything in my garage. Uh, and when you need something, uh, you don't know how to pull it out because you just uh, you're assuming that you can find it easily. But that's exactly what happened with data lakes, in my uh, opinion. Uh, you have all this data that's coming through data uh, and in, in stored in data lakes, uh, but then the processing and you know building those reports and getting value out of it that problem did not go away. We still had that problem. So. so to be super clear, when you went from data warehouse to data lake, that's going from like pre-structured, I know what my queries are, I now need to just aggregate the data to be able to perform them, whereas data lake is, I don't know what questions I want to ask, so I just want to stick it all in some place so that I can hopefully come up with any arbitrary query later. Exactly. It is It is all this raw data in one place. The only improvement, if you think about it, is just that all the data is in one place. That doesn't mean it is easy to use. That doesn't mean it's easy to analyze it and connect the dots and all of that. So that problem actually got magnified, uh, uh, the the problem itself, because now you you don't know know, who has access to what, and people were just looking at this massive volumes of data and didn't know what to do with it. Are there also challenges with with the data lake architecture? How do you ensure that any given piece of data, should it mutate over time, gets updated in the right place? Was that was that solved as part of the idea of data lakes, or was that a kind of outstanding challenge? Um, it, the idea was to also keep it up to date uh, okay. in, in the data lake. So you know that's you get the data to the data lake, and also you keep it up to date. So that's that's part of that uh, the solution there. Got it. So it would be would be part of the solution. I'm just trying to figure out mm-hmm. so, so I understand the, the kind of space. And and how and where do like immutable data stores fit within this? The idea that uh, we actually don't necessarily want to mutate data because we want to know, to, to take the, you know, kind of classical examples, if you moved from one location to another, we probably still want to know what your old billing address was because there are going to be some times where that's useful information. How do you... Uh, do you have you seen a trend towards immutable data stores now that we don't need to you know free up the space on the hard drive or does that still feel like a kind of niche use case for most people? 
No, I think I think it is uh, very important for a lot of companies to understand point in time data sets uh, and kind of analyze how the data was at any given point of time, whether it's for compliance reasons or whether it's for some kind of analytics. However, the only way that we were um, able to do that in the past is either the application itself is keeping track of that data, which is very hard and not scalable because the application's goal is mainly to run those business transactions, run that daily business. Um, you know, and then there was this other area where, you know, some kind of central er uh, data area, such as a data warehouse, where we were keeping track of these versions of records um, by, you know, building some logic. Now there is, uh, there have been some improvements in these data platforms uh, where they are, you know, building these features native to the data platform itself. So when you load the data, now you can, uh, there are features in built into there where you can keep that history uh, for, for a certain period of time pretty easily. Got it. So just as I, I started to hear people talk about data lakes, it feels like they, they, that, that's that been much less so over the last maybe year or two. I feel like that that kind of peaked a little earlier. And now the, the cool kids all seem to be talking about data meshes. So what's the difference between a data lake and a data mesh? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So data lake is just a you know kind of place where you just dump the data. Uh, and, and from there, it's about, you know, anybody who wants to get value out of it, you go and access it and you do uh, whatever you do with it to, to get that value. Uh, on the other hand, uh, data mesh is in, is, is a da it's a paradigm to uh, implement a data analytics um, program in, in, in your, in your organization. So it basically, um, so the, the, you know, traditionally we had this centralized teams, these IT teams who are responsible to acquire the data and to process the data and understand the business, understand the business needs and requirements, and eventually kind of deliver that foundational layer so people can start consuming that. Uh, but with the growth of the demand, uh, you know, the, 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 all the, you know, acquisitions, you know, margins and acquisitions, the number of sources, uh, people realizing that we need to use data to, for our competitive advantage. All of this has been happening. And that model where you have the central system is becoming harder and harder to deliver value. So there is this new idea where we say, and that's one of the reasons. And the other reason is IT necessarily is not the best to, or best equipped in terms of understanding the day, business, understanding the data, because that's not their day-to-day -day job. Uh, yet they were responsible to data, to acquire the data that they did not generate or not necessarily they may not even understand. And still they have to deliver and convert, you know, apply rules and transformations to it and deliver it to the business. So, and, and they don't know how that data gets applied in the, in the business. So they don't know the either sides of this thing, but they're in the middle. Um, they're, they're responsible to do the processing. So the idea, the new idea with the data mesh is, you know, the businesses, the lines of business, you know, what departments, whatever you want to call it, or domains, that's the word. 
uh, that they use. And these domains are, you know, our business units. They are the ones who are running these applications, day-to-day business. They're capturing the data. They're, they're the, they're originating this data. So they understand that data. So the idea is how about they will be responsible also to curate that, uh, prepare it and process it to a point where it is available for other departments to consume it. So if I am a, you know, in a marketing department, you know, I would prepare all my marketing campaigning data and, uh, you know, and then I'll publish that data for others to consume. If somebody wants to take that data and merge with something else and do some analysis, they don't have to worry about the quality um, of this data. It's just like they're just buying a product. Like when you go to a retail store, you buy a product, you don't have to worry too much about you, you know, there's a manual there. It comes with some expected quality. It's easy to use, hopefully, and all of that. So those are the kinds of things that are built into that. Um, uh, where, you know, you distribute this responsibility, but also make them uh, follow some standards to share this data, which has a certain quality to it. So, so the goal there then is at the very least to have like a pre-processing to a baseline level of quality within each department or group that's running the particular applications. And then in practice, when you say publish that, is that something that you would have like API query endpoints? Is this like a huge dump of a log file that you could bring in? Because I'd imagine certain classes of queries across, say, departments would be unlikely to be performant if you had to say, you know, for each element in this, go go get that piece of data. How how do you deal with the the process of actually integrating queries that that need to run across di- different parts of the data mesh? Yeah, so APIs would be definitely one of the ways to do that because that way you don't have to deal with any any complexity of writing queries or you know duplicating the data or what, whatever you need to do. APIs would be one way for sure. Um, so you build this data set and you put an API layer on top and other departments just can consume from that API uh, layer easily. Um, you know, but you don't necessarily have to do all of those pieces. I think the concept is more powerful than how it gets implemented, in my opinion. So if you have a, a platform, a data platform that's pretty easy to use, um, you know, then you can, it could just be a view or it could be just a table or it could be a set of tables joined together as a data set and published. You can start off that way uh, if you're trying to implement this in your organization. Got it. And what would be some of the examples of the, the, the quality standards that you might put in, just, just to take an example, say, with a marketing team? Yeah. I mean, I would say first thing, it, it, it should be easily discoverable, right? I mean, when you put something out there, people need to understand what it is. Like, what is the, you know, what is each column means? Um, so they need to be able to have those definitions uh, in, and uh, it should be uh, understandable. Uh, maybe there is like some kind of visual representation of how things are connected. If you're sharing uh, data sets that are, um, you know, stitched together. And also I would say column level lineage is important because, you know, if you want to use some data, you may be asking, okay, where is this coming from? You know, although in this case, it's, 
it's kind of less important because of uh, the, you know, you are going to rely upon the marketing department to make sure that they get this data from the right source and because they are, they own the data, they understand. So they are, you know, building this uh, product with, with all those standards built into it. Uh, but from a person, from another department user's perspective, uh, it should be pretty discoverable, understandable, and kind of consumable, I would say. Oh, that's great. Thank you. So then another term I, I actually just, just heard from you as we, as we were chatting a little bit ago is this idea of a data vault. So what then is a data vault and how does it relate or not relate to some of the other concepts we've discussed? Yeah, this one falls primarily into that data warehousing um, kind of domain. Um, so data warehousing has been there for a long time. Uh, while it's not called data warehouse, you know, people, not everybody's building data warehouses per se. Right. Uh, sometimes they don't, um, some people say we don't need it. Some people say it's too hard to build, takes too long. I believe that's the main reason people don't want to build it because it just takes too long and uh, although it adds a lot of value, especially if you take a balanced approach. Um, but um, when you when you are building something, let's call it a central repository, data repository, you need some methodology to organize your data, right? Whether, you know, whatever you want to call that, but you need some, you know, methodology to organize the data. Otherwise, what happens is once you get thousands and thousands of tables, you might be actually lost as a team who's building these. You might be lost in terms of like, you know, what did what, what did we build so far? How are all these connected? It just becomes messy. So one of those methodologies is data vault. Now, how do you organize your data once you get data from multiple sources? Um, you know, there have been several methodologies in the past. You know, people are used to like Kimball's, you know, methodology and Inman's methodology in the last a few decades, and this is another type, another methodology that would um, kind of help organize the data. There are several benefits that are um, very specific to Data Vault. Uh, one of the things, for example, if you have a lot of sources that you're pulling data from, uh, this would be a good methodology to uh, look into because what it does is the model that you build is pretty resilient to change. So if you're getting, you know, if you go ahead and like, let's say you, you, you acquired a company and they are giving you a set of um, tables and databases that you want to kind of integrate into your data, uh, central data foundation layer. Uh, this type of model is much more resilient because you can kind of plug in just like you would plug in a, you know, like a Lego into this and not, uh, impact the existing tables and um, ingestion uh, programs and things that, you know, what you have currently in your environment. So uh, the resiliency is, is one of the features and benefits of Data Vault. The other thing is by design, everything that you do in Data Vault is auditable, meaning everything is, you have to, uh, you have to keep track of you know, point in time uh, values for every field. So if the field's values are changing uh, by design, you always keep track of what it was at any given point of time. So that way, if you have compliance needs to go and uh, audit something, 
it's there. You're not explicitly picking and choosing, hey, which columns would I, uh, would I track and which columns you don't. It's everything is, is trackable. Got it. And then, so I think we've, we've covered a, a number of the trends. What do you think some of the upcoming trends are the you know, CTOs, engineering leaders should at least be aware of that you think they're going to start to hear more about over the next couple of years? Um, definitely one of the trends that we see is like the best of using best of breed systems for each uh, area. Uh, that is That has become very important. You can see data cataloging, you know, you have a best of breed tool for that. You have a best of breed tool for, you know, whether it's uh, uh, data ingestion, uh, things like that. So when you are, um, you know, trying to, uh, you know, implement a, a new data program in a uh, data analytics program, I, I would, I would highly recommend that you look at the best of breed systems as opposed to one system that does everything because the magnitude is so high that it's not possible uh, at this in these days. Um, the other, you know, the real time that we talked about already, that's definitely another trend that's happening. Not every company would is switching to real time right away. Uh, but you have to ask yourself, like, uh, will I need that real time today or would I need it in the next three years? If so, what is that I need to do today that I can, you know, that helps me? Uh, in the next three years. So um, real time is another another trend. Um, I would say, you know, decoupling, uh, sys- decouple systems uh, where, you know, things are more modular. You know, this has already happened in the application world where they're doing microservices and things like that. Uh, that That is similar to that here. Uh, we're talking about more uh, decoupled systems, uh, which one of the key things in, in um, data mesh that we talked about, but then have a layer like an API or some other layer that would kind of, you know, uh, help to integrate these uh, these systems. That's great. So Satish, I, I think we're pretty much out of time, but thanks so much for giving us kind of a, a whirlwind tour of uh, trends in data analytics. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs>